this is sexually explicit. No, that's a lie. It's only sexually related. But still, if you're not 18, um, move along now. And could you also talk about how hot the host is? And the host, uh, sitting across from me, I'm looking right at him. I can I can tell you about the, the chisel of his jaw and <laughs> his, his five o'clock shadow. <laughs> And the wire room glasses. It's uh, it's really remarkable. I haven't been able to take my eyes off of it this entire now, now this time. has gone from being an honest podcast to complete sign online. Ah, you're full of shit. Thanks for downloading another episode. Uh, this episode, I'm really excited about because it's someone who I've been listening to for years. You may know him from his incredibly successful podcast, Risk, or maybe you saw him when he was on The State on MTV. Kevin Ellison. This is someone, another prime example of me not emailing someone that I don't know and asking him to be on the show. But thankfully, Mr. Alex ran into him. He was kinky. I know he was kinky because he talks about it on his podcast. And uh, Alex ran into him and said, and said hey, you, gotta, you should be on the Masticast. And she put us in touch, and I'm so glad, I'm so glad that she did. If you don't listen to Risk yet, do it. Go to iTunes right now and subscribe to Risk. You can also find the website at Risk Show. That's risk-show.com. So here it is, a conversation with Kevin Allison. Well, despite me giving you the wrong address, you're here. Thank you so much for making it all the way to sunny East Harlem. Thank you. I, you know, I have to say that I've been actually a little nervous about this interview because I'm so used to doing comedy interviews and just speaking of kink in a very like lighthearted, you know, ah, isn't this crazy that I'm saying this? But um, but this I wanted to really like dig into how I'm feeling. And the weird thing is I'm at a kind of a low point right now. I'm and, and as a storyteller, I totally know you need low points. <laughs> right, you know, right, right. <laughs> you've got no story if you don't. But um, but yeah, I, I, I've been reviewing like, okay, what do I want to do in 2013 that's different? Because I'm about a year and a half into calling myself publicly kinky, yeah. calling myself polyamorous. And the truth is that I'm feeling lonely lately. I'm feeling disconnected. And when I listen to Massacast and People of Kink and Erotic Awakenings, I feel like I'm listening to a lot of people who talk mostly, or what they're most happy about, is the extent to which they've made friendships yeah. or social, you know, intimacy. That they found a partner in crime, and I feel like I'm still out there as a lone wolf, like the classic gay dude out there cruising alone through all of this. I have had in the past year and a half so much fun sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been like tied to a St. Andrew's cross and had someone's boots tied to my balls a few months ago. Uh, someone poured hot wax on me down there as well. And that was amazing. Uh, just the other day I was, I was playing proctologist with a friend <laughs> <laughs> and I had, um, I had an actual medical speculum, yeah. and I opened him. I opened him up wide with it, and it was so funny because people were like, "Well, what did you do?" And I was like, "We both just like moaned and oohed and awed for like ten <laughs> minutes. We just thought it was so hot, we didn't have to do anything." <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> so I've had a lot of fun 
sexually, like physically, I yeah. like like sounds have come out of my mouth I didn't know I could make, and yeah. feelings inside my body. So it's been quite an adventure for the past year and a half. But I feel very disconnected on an intimate and person to person way with kink, and it's because there is a difference between the way that the primarily straight or bisexual or just pansexual kink community uh, socializes and the way that gays do. I think it has to do with the fact that gay men from the 20s through the 80s were, you know, the avant-garde of the BDSM scene, but very much underground, very much like secret society. It's only been recently that I've learned that there are kink camps for gay dudes. It's just that... You have to have a secret invite to it, <laughs> yeah, right. well, because it's always it's always been about sort of the hookup culture. Yeah, you, you're experiencing the exact opposite of what I experienced when yeah. I first got into the community, which was uh, I made a lot of friends, mm-hmm. but no one to play with. Mm. So I, I had the, but at the same time, I, I met met so many really awesome people. Yeah, and it gets to a point where I, I remember thinking, okay, well, this is pretty good. This isn't nearly as good as. Getting fucked or fucking every like you know and have some crazy wild sex, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I and I could be totally wrong about this, but I think the 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 more hetero kink scene is sort of dissolving. It's just becoming everyone. A yeah, bit. absolutely. Like here's here's how my experience went. Um, we were talking before we started recording about how for about twelve or thirteen years after my comedy group, the state mm-hmm. broke up. We had had a show on MTV, and so it was huge success at the age of 22, 23, and then it was gone. Yeah. And I had to create a solo career and just didn't know what to do with myself on stage. So I was always being silly characters on stage and just starving, like getting evicted from one place to the next. And just my life was just a mess for over a decade. And then I told my first true story in front of an audience at a show called Strip Stories at UCB Theater. It, you were supposed to tell a sex story. So I was like, all right, you know, I'll tell about the first time that I tried prostitution. And I was terrified because I always felt that the reason I couldn't be myself on stage was because if people knew the do- the Mr. Hyde part of me, if yeah. people knew how kooky and raunchy and bizarre and all these little aspects of my personality that don't fit what casting directors and agents and Hollywood is looking for in their next dude that they're going to put on a sitcom, that I would shoot myself in in the foot. But finally, I got up on stage, I told a story that was totally raw and real about trying to sell my body for sex when I was 20 years old. And the audience, the reaction was so wildly different than anything I'd experienced before. They were leaning forward. I was looking right in their eyes. At certain points in the story, I found myself conversing with them, saying, like, you know what I mean, you know, that kind of (laughs) thing. And afterwards, people weren't just saying, oh, that was funny, dude. People were saying, oh, my God, you totally reminded me of something that happened to my mom and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, there was a connection that was just very clear. And so I said to myself that night, I was like, I have got to force myself to be telling true stories on stage regularly. And the only way I'll do that is if, if I'm doing like a podcast so that I, I know I have a deadline. People are counting on me getting it out there. 
So I created this show, Risk, where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share in public. And the idea is all those things that you've been told, don't you know, be sharing that in mixed company. Yeah. We say fuck it. Because I grew up being told by my mom. My mom, she was a very, very, very powerful presence in my life. And I knew I was gay from when I was a toddler. So I grew up kind of terrified of what was inside me, of what I was. Uh, terrified that if anyone found out who I really am inside that Mr. Hyde part of me, that I'd lose all my friends and family. Yeah. So... My mother, would, her, she was just one of the, I, I love my mother dearly, but she was one of those Midwestern sorts of puritanical kinds of moms who was always most concerned with what the neighbors will think. Uh, so she was always telling me things like, Kevin, stop being so expressive with your face. Uh, your gestures are too big. Don't run up the stairs like that. You look like a girl, that kind of stuff. And so this constant shame and sense of, oh my God, what will the neighbors think of what I am? That motherly voice has hung in my head for so long that risk was me finally saying, fuck it, totally fuck it. I'm going to go public about the most nuanced and weird and private parts of myself and see what that does for my career and it totally turned things around now we're we're in our fourth year of risk now and podcasts are still something that's not on most people's radar so who knows yeah i mean maybe a year from now there will be pictures of me eating ass (laughs) in the new york post and everything will be destroyed however (laughs) however in this day and age can't believe I said in this day and age, but to, if if that were to happen, you'd have a huge explosion of yeah, that, that people is true. listening to risk. Right? That is true. That is true. I, there's 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 an extent to which I have created a persona where it's like I'm the guy who lets the cat out of the bag. So if if the cat comes out of the bag on Twitter, you know, oh here's you know something, here's a picture of Kevin, or here's a recording of Kevin, or whatever. People will be like, well, yeah, that's yeah. what he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the way of his people, or whatever, yeah. you know. What one thing that that because you, you came out before the the state came out, or or at the same time, or came out of the closet. Yeah, I came. I started coming out. I came out to myself at the age of twelve, and I came out. Started coming out to my friends in high school. And then I came out to the state in about my sophomore year of... of, So that's the thing. For me, coming out is itself a thematic pattern that I'm always going through. It start, you know, because I couldn't be gay when I was a kid, I became the the funny kid. That's the defense mechanism of, okay, there's something weird inside of me, so I'm going to blurt out weird things and get laughs, you know? Uh, And... What I didn't realize, even when I was in the state, is, you know, in improv, there's this whole idea of commit to the bit. If you're going to blurt out something funny, uh, then commit to it, have a character that really feels that way, and follow a trajectory of, of following a story. I just grew used to, like, almost like hit and run. 
blurting things out, spooking people with, I'm gay, or here I am naked at the high school party. You yeah, know what I yeah. mean? And so it didn't work so well for me in the state because I never really learned to stick to it and commit to it. It's in true storytelling that I finally learned how to really follow a through line because I know that if I just if I keep getting more and more honest, it, it'll work. Yeah. You know, if I keep following how I really feel about things that I really went through, I'm kind of guaranteed to come up with something good. Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you find because I, I, I at the time it was ninety four. Was it 94? The state, state was on... Well, we, we in 93, we were on a show with Jon Stewart called You Wrote It, You Watch It. Yeah. 94, they gave us our own show. And by 96, we were broken up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? What was the attitude like at the time, being out and on TV? I was so... By that time, by the time I got to college, it was 1988... Act Up was huge. So I would go to like Act Up rallies and I can't say that I was someone who accomplished anything or, or like was a real activist, but but that was in the air, yeah. you know, everyone was wearing pink triangle t-shirts and there was this real sense that we are radical, we're standing up for what we believe and we are a community. Yeah. And I don't feel that so much anymore. You know, I feel like I, I look at the gay community now and it, it, it all... What people coalesce around now is marriage. Yeah. And this kind of mainstreaming of gay culture, this, you know, like, to me, it's like kids today in their 20s tend to think that being gay is about getting married and watching Glee. And to me, that's just enormously depressing. Right. So it was about two years ago when I first went to kink camp that all of a sudden I'm in a room full of people. Like, here's what happened. Jefferson, our, a friend of ours, yeah. uh, he got up at a risk show and he told a story about uh, go, attending an erotic biting workshop. Yeah. And I came up to him afterwards and I said, Jefferson, where does one attend an erotic biting workshop? And he said to me, oh, I'm going to a kink camp in about three weeks. You should come. And I said, oh, well, I know I'm a very sexual person. I have shared stories on risk that were very sexual about just random hookups. But I don't know anything about bondage and discipline or sadomasochism. I, I, I don't know about kink. And he said, Kevin, take a risk. Yeah, yeah. So it was really the first time that I felt like my podcast was like, challenging me like like stepping up to me and saying all right lead by example dude sure. like actually take a risk and come back down from the mountain and see if you have a story to tell right so i called the camp and i gave them my credit card information the next day and then i realized oh my god i should ask them what the demographic is so i called the camp director back and i said how many gay men go to this camp and he said oh almost none he said, it's mostly straight people, lesbians, some bi people, trans, genderqueer, etc. But not many gay men. So I was like, oh, all right, I'm going to be really outside my comfort right. zone. <laughs> and it was the beginning of my, when I, when I arrived at camp, you know, people are arriving all day on Friday. And then at, you know, six o'clock at night, everyone gathers about 500 people in a room for dinner. And it was just nothing but hooting and hollering. 
it was almost like being at a revival meeting, you know, like, like people were almost like praising the Lord to be together, to be able to be totally sexually free, uh, to just be away from all of the restrictions and repressions. And it was really a religious feeling for me. I, I just felt like I was home, like I was amongst my own species. Yeah. Um, but over the course of the weekend, I realized, oh, my God, like everyone's having such a great time together now that there's life, now that there's all these things that are, especially Internet, bringing us together. But the gay men continue to be off on their own doing their own thing. Yeah. So now I finally realized that, you know what I want to do in 2013? I want to maybe start organizing a munch maybe host an orgy, maybe become a little bit more of a, I don't know, social moderator on FetLife. I want to make myself a little bit more of a social hub for gay men into this stuff because I really feel the need for it. I feel need for communal brotherhood amongst my own dudes because, you know... Even on Grinder and Scruff, and I'm on like 10 different apps. <laughs> on these things, when you say, I'm kinky and I'm polyamorous, even though sociologists tell us, oh, 50% of gay relationships are open, if you actually say it, like up front, people are like, oh, mm, that's iffy. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, you sound like you're like a little bit too wild and crazy. Right, right. So... I need to find people of my own species, and I just need more, oh, just, just, you know, now that I've been so public of proclaim, it's weird when you, when you, when you proclaim yourself to be a label, like now that I've been on risk saying I'm kinky, I'm polyamorous, I'm like, oh, wow, I've really got to like live into this now and like I almost feel like you know I, I have to keep having a good story <laughs> but I, for some reason I, you don't strike me as the person who has a hard time who has a hard time finding good stories right it's not it's not that I mean lately I've had so many amazing sexual experiences but not felt like there was much of a story there yeah. because I don't care all that much. It's like, oh, yeah, I did that crazy thing with the mask and the ropes and whatever, but I wasn't I didn't care all that much about that yeah. dude. Yeah. So, so so there's that difference. The, the there's an episode of Risk called Kevin Goes to Kink Camp. It's a two-parter. And then there's Beyond Kink Camp. And to me, Beyond Kink Camp is really like probably my favorite of my stories because very shortly after I attended that kink camp for the first time, I met a young Chinese guy who was super smart, super well-versed in kink, and just a very fascinating character who loved role-playing and and interviewing me and all this kind of stuff. And our first encounter was just absolutely loaded with emotion and strange things coming out of my memories and stuff like that uh, because I cared about the guy, you know? So that is the thing. I mean, it's very hard to like make that happen in your life, make people come around that you're going to care about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think you do have to be a little bit proactive about it. (laughs) I I think people, when they're exploring kink, it goes in waves. 
when they first get started, and also depends on what floats your boat, right? If you're really into DS and like to like that anonymous, yeah, which is something I've definitely experienced and really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But there comes a point where it's not enough, yeah, where because because of whatever reason you want, there's only certain things you can explore on a higher level. That's exactly right. Else, right. That's exactly right. There there is this whole thing in BDSM where. Like your first couple of experiences, you're crossing a line, you're crossing a boundary. You might not even know have known it was there. And you end up on the other side and you're like, oh, what other lines can I yeah, cross? Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. You, you, you realize that we are conditioned, like, I mean, all of us, all of, you know, humanity. We're conditioned to think that sex and romance work a certain way. Yeah. And I think that we, me and you and the rest of the King community, are kind of on the front lines of people being like, well, no, like, there are different ways that this can work, you know, like, like, for example, me feeling so lonely and kind of, oh, I don't know, uh, at sea a little bit in my sex life right now, I realize that part of it is conditioning. I realize that part of it is that society tells me, oh, you're having a lot of sex, but none of it is leading to the altar, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you should feel terrible. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so I realize that there's an extent to which a lot of us are kind of brainwashed, and we always have to be asking ourselves, is that just society talking, or is this really how I feel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a tough thing, because how, how, do you, how do you find that answer, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. how do you know what, which is the right one? Um, but I mean, I, I know there are quite a few different. Uh, I've got a few friends who are in the in the gay leather scene, and for them, it's all about the internet or not the international, but the the big conferences like the leather, the heavy leather international Mister Leather or something like that. That that's what they live for because that's their community because they're into a specific subsect of BDSM that, yes. that really gets them going. I have recently, I put it out on FetLife. I was like, well, where, is, where are our kink camps? And a lot of people wrote back, well, there's Delta and there's Hellfire. There's these, these camps or festivals that you have to be personally invited to. The way one guy explained it to me, uh, he said, the thing about straight or primarily straight kink camps and ours is that those those people tend to go from zero to 60 and we start at 60. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. That makes sense. So he said, for that reason, you have to invite people personally so that you know that people aren't just going to go there and wig out and want to leave or just stand on the side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but... Bring your A game, so to speak. <laughs> right, exactly. One of the things that struck me about camp, because I, I went back this year as well, is I noticed that just being in that atmosphere, just being in that anything goes atmosphere. Like the first time I went to camp, that story, Kevin Goes to King Camp, mm-hmm. those episodes of Risk, it ends with me at the age of 41 uh, having fun with a lady yeah, for the yeah. first time in my life. And I think that those camps kind of create an atmosphere where all of a sudden you're like, well, what the fuck? Anything goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely, yeah. And so I think actually, you know, because I was talking to Lee Harrington about this. Um, he was saying that he's, you know, followed some of these camps along their evolution and that he's actually witnessed how gradually more and more guys who are like, yeah, I can be by at some times are playing with that more openly at these camps. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good sign. I think that that that, that means that these kink community get-togethers are working, you know, that the it's supposed to be a place where you f- can try something that you never thought you'd yeah, be yeah, trying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's also the idea of if you're playing with someone, a, a friend of mine, she, she identifies as lesbian, mm-hmm. and she loves playing with men for the simple fact that she doesn't care about men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and this is not man hating. Uh-huh. It's not man hating. Yeah, it's definitely not. She just loves the fact that she's she's not thinking of, at the time. She's not thinking to herself, "Oh, maybe we're gonna fuck later on." She's not thinking about that. She's just thinking, "How much pain can I give this piece of meat?" Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I can definitely see the appeal in in, in you know in, in what she's saying there because that's the type of she wants really hardcore. And she doesn't want any confusion. Hey, look, we're never going to fuck. That's what she usually t- says before they play. Yeah. You know, there's nothing. You're not going to come. Yeah. I'm not. I might come, but you're not going to, you know. Um, well, there's that interesting, like, paradox in that this, the kink world is a place where you are encouraged and allowed to go further with your fetishes, yeah. but also where you can feel freedom to veer away from them as well. For me, one of the things that I've had had to deal with, it, because I tell these stories on risk that are so, you know, frank and and everything like that, I have to like do a little bit of examining of myself. I mean, it's it's basically like the way I speak to my audience is the way I would be speaking to a therapist if sure. I had one. Yeah. So there's a lot of self examination that goes on, and you know, everyone can hear how my stories are almost always about me hooking up with Asian guys. Um, Now, the truth is that I have slept with and enjoy playing with men of all races, but mostly men of color, and then mostly Asian out of those men of color, right? Um, So it's a sensitive topic because people out there in the world don't have all that many problems with, oh, you like tall women, or oh, you like... But when it comes down to race, it makes people a little queasy because there are so many nuances and there are so many... Well, wait a minute. Why? Why do you like Asian men? So I've been doing a lot of thinking about that lately, and two experiences like helped clarify it for me recently a little bit more than even before. And it one was... I I had a guy over, and he was a jerk, an Asian guy. And he was uh, arrogant and selfish and pushy. And we had only just gotten our clothes off when I said, you know what, this isn't, I don't think that this is working between us. He was all huffy and puffy, and he left. And then a few days later, I had a guy over, another Asian guy, and foot fetishist, and he was an idiot. <laughs> he 
was. He started off like we, you know, we first like I always have a conversation first. So we sat down, we had some water, and we're talking. And he's like, "Oh, you're a comedian." Please don't tell me you prefer Seinfeld over Friends. I can't stand people who prefer Seinfeld over Friends. I was like, why is that? He's like, Seinfeld, what are they talking about? Are they all college professors? How am I supposed to follow what they're talking about? And I was like, you know what? This is not going to work out. This is 10 years, and you're still holding a grudge. Also, I just felt like, oh my god, I like you know, just the, the level of idiocy there was was. But, but, <laughs> well, first of all, it says something to you that that you're willing to put off a possible uh, amazing sexual encounter just because the person uh, is it because the whole time you'd be th- if you were, if you were to engage with that person you'd be going what the hell what. <laughs> I just don't. Well, he went on to say that his favorite show is the new Scooby Doo. So it, there was just all of this feeling like, okay, this guy is not smart, right? He's not a smart cookie. So it just wasn't working for me. And after those two experiences, I, was, I, I, I thought to myself, you know what it is, like the main thing for me about Asian men is it's about emotional intelligence, that there is just some. Oh, I don't know, some sensitivity, some presence of mind that, that's compassionate and, and just like, I don't know, sharp, uh, that I sense in a lot of Asian men that I'm really attracted to. So that an Asian man might be 65 and I'll sleep with him. He might be fat and I'll sleep with him. He might be ugly. I'll sleep with him. If I sense that there's this like emotional intelligence. Um, And so I might be stereotyping, but at least I'm stereotyping about something, I don't know, that seems kind of worthy to me. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I am aware that, 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 like, I, I feel like having admitted that I sleep with Asian men a lot on risk has, like, put me in a little bit of a box. I feel like now I have to, like, excuse myself or explain it places I go. Um, and, and it's one of those things where I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe I should let go of it a little bit. Maybe I should, you know, start experimenting more with people of different races just because I'm feeling a little bit defensive about this issue lately. But I do actually feel like ultimately it is something about the spirit and the soul. And it's not so much a purely objectifying or fetishizing sort of thing. Well, what what is the di- I mean, I, 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 there is a difference, obviously, between preferring blonde hair mm-hmm. to brunette as opposed to someone of this race or this race. Mm-hmm. But why, why is there a difference? I mean, I, I know there's a difference. There's obviously a difference, but where's that line? Well, I think it's that it's, it's that, well, for, if you take a minority in America and you're the white person who's like, oh, I'm especially attracted to this minority, I think that they'll, f- they reasonably, if that's the first thing they know about you, oh, this guy likes Asian guys, they're going to wonder, well, why? Yeah. Uh, is he just into the shape of my eyes and yeah. the color of my skin? You know, is he going to see the real me beyond that? And people have said things on iTunes and other places where people comment about risk, accusing me of being a racist, you know? And I get defensive because I think to myself, well, in my stories, I'm talking about 
very much about individuals yeah. and about their personalities and the effects that they had on me. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 tricky. Uh, and I am self-conscious about it lately, thinking, well, maybe if I'm, if, if I'm questioning myself so much about it, maybe I should make an effort to be sleeping with people of different races, yeah. you know? But it's hard not to prefer. There's just something right. that's so, you know, attractive to me. Sure. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, this is, I know you hate doing this. I can tell by listening to your show that you hate doing this. Maybe you could just uh, have a wheel that you spin with races, and before you tell a story, you spin the wheel, and you're like, today, this guy's Hungarian, you know? Maybe that's the solution. Because if it's not really about the race anyway, it just right. happens to be. Right. I'm sleeping with this Hungarian guy, or, man, that Paraguayan was really uh, awesome. Yeah, well, you know, like, another thing. That we were we were talking about like being in a camp atmosphere, being in a kink community atmosphere. The last time I was at camp, I was a I was at dinner with a man who was oh four hundred and fifty pounds, big 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 man, and he was talking about how he was an expert in whips, and he was such an interesting person. He was uh, he writes on the arts for various newspapers and stuff. I mean, I'm not giving too much away with that, but. Uh, just we were having fascinating conversation about the arts and then about whips, and I finally said, "Sir, yeah. I would be honored to be whipped by you." And yeah. He was like, "Great, great, let's do it." And it was interesting to me because here was a gigantic white man who I was not physically attracted to, but there is something in the realm of dominance and submission where that almost doesn't matter in some yeah. cases you know that that becomes a lot less important and indeed you know the next night at 10 o'clock uh i went to the dungeon stripped naked was holding on to a couple of, uh, of chains and he was behind me with this dog sledding whip uh, about six feet long and he really was a master at this thing. He started off just like making it like blow whispers yeah, behind yeah, my yeah, neck. Yeah. And he would occasionally tell me something about the history of the whip itself. And then he would crack it right next to my ears yeah. to scare the shit out of me. Then he came in front of me and started ha like having it just lightly touch my cock, right, you know, which right. was horrifying. Right, of course. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. I've totally been there. And it's like... Um, the whole time he was just thinking, no sudden movements. <laughs> right, right, right. He did alert me. He was like, now look, I'm not tying you to these chains. Yeah. So if you if you need to run away... Which for me is worse. Because <laughs> you keep having to choose because to be I there. Like, I, like, I could totally get away right now. And this is one more thing I have to think about. Right? Exactly. I've so been there. I've been there. I'm like, no, please just tie me up. Please tie me up. Oh, but no, I was so impressed by that experience. It was so exhilarating because he had so much mastery of his craft and he was an interesting person. Yeah. So the physical, the race, none of that stuff mattered to me anymore. Yeah. And that was the, the experience I was talking about where my voice, went. he would crack that whip on my back and all of a sudden I was like, what's that sound that's filling this entire barn? Oh, it's me. <laughs> That's an amazing thing when you identify that whatever it is. This might be totally unrelated. But when I uh, was listening to one of your episodes recently, uh, 
a light bulb in my head went up thinking this might be his first kinky fantasy or something. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you were daydreaming about being crucified? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, it, um, it was um, at the beginning of one of, my, one of my Catholic stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was raised very, very Catholic. And so, you know, it's funny, now that, now that I'm in kink and BDSM and everything, you, you begin to see it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I met a guy in Amsterdam, we were going to a, um, he was a straight guy, and we were going to go to a Wasteland together, a big kink party yeah. over there. And uh, he was giving me his philosophy that everything is kink, everything can become a little bit sexualized. And last night I was watching a Tarantino movie, and like, Tarantino movies are just like ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, the whole Catholic thing, I was so you know, I my my family was very very Catholic. My father uh loves Christ and loves Isaiah and reads his Bible and they're very they love the art side of Catholicism, Michelangelo and Handel and all that kind of stuff. And so I grew up really loving it. But the thing that like nailed it for me, literally, was uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. I discovered Jesus Christ Superstar in the record collection when I was seven and became so obsessed with this record because it was so passionate. There was all of this like screaming and there was all of this like sacrifice and there was all of this um you know coming down on it was just very very dramatic a presentation of of the whole jesus thing and it ends with this epic crucifixion scene and what's fascinating about it is there's no resurrection in it either it it ends really bleakly um so i just grew so attached to that record and it's how i really feel like I started to get to know the whole Jesus thing on a deeper level. And so my mother was like, well, what the hell? We can't stand listening to this stuff, but it's introducing him to Jesus. So she was okay with it. Um, and one day I'm down there in, I never told this part of the story. I used to lock the door to the basement, run downstairs, play Jesus Christ Superstar and play the roles, especially Jesus being tortured and crucified. And one day I'm on the, on the ground acting like I'm being crucified and my brother walks in. He, I guess the door had been open actually. And he starts making fun of me. And I'm horrified and embarrassed because I feel like, you know, almost like I, it's been discovered that I'm gay. Like, like, there's, like there's something about being so dramatic that is also seemingly kind of gay or something like that. Sure. So I started crying and screaming at him. And what I did next is really interesting. I loved this record so much, but I felt like I had been put upon now by my family. So I took a penny and took the song on the vinyl that I loved most, which is Magdalene singing, I Don't Know How to Love Him. She's confused about her feelings of love for Christ. And I removed that song from the vine, just scratched, scratched every every uh, groove of it out of there. Oh, wow. And the whole idea was, look what you've made me do to myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I know exactly, yeah. So it was this weird masochistic act that 
where it was really just me doing it to myself, but I wanted people to feel like, no, I cared about something, you made fun of it, and damn it, now I've lost the thing I love. And within a few days, I'm begging my mom to buy me a new (laughs) copy. Was was this a little brother or a big brother? A big brother. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I tied myself up. I used to tie myself up all the time, not knowing it was sexual. This is before I knew what sex was. And my brother walked into the barn once when I was tying myself up. And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, "Uh, oh, I'm preparing for a magic show or something, you know. Oh, great. Well, I can't wait to see it. And he was like, "Eh, never came, of course. (laughs) I I think that's... I think things have been would have been very different if it was an older brother in my yeah, case than a younger yeah, yeah, brother. Yeah, younger yeah. brothers are very gullible in those sense. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? It's so interesting, like those things, and and we remember them now. Like another thing that occurs in one of my stories in uh, Beyond King Camp is while I'm tied up and on all fours and servicing this this Chinese guy, I have this memory of seeing uh, the king and I. When I was um, about seven or eight years old and being so awestruck by the beauty of the king. It wasn't Yul Brynner. It was like a beautiful 17-year-old Filipino boy. (laughs) Very, a little different. different, but... But especially the scene where he wields the whip against the lovers who are not supposed to be lovers. You know, it's like there was something so... Um, I don't know, magnificent about it. And, and it's, and it, what, what was interesting is in the play, in The King and I, that's when she, the female lead, is like, I'm out of here. You're a barbarian. Right. <laughs> to me, that was when the play kind of lost all its luster. I was like, wait a minute, that's the end? That's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> so so when, when, at what point did you realize that you were kinky or or was was it kink camp that really kind of that's a like probably the most common question among kinksters when did you realize you were kinky because i was in diapers realizing oh i like other boys physically and i want to be with them and was you know very much conscious that that was wrong and it was i i even knew what gay and fag meant by the time i was 4 or 5 oh, wow. yeah and so that was for me, kinky means sex that is deviant or just not okay with most people. So I feel like I've been kinky from day one, just yeah. because my base level sexuality I've always felt was so wrong. Um, but yes, I would say that as far, you know, when I was in college, I gained a reputation among my friends as being, oh, Kevin. He's the one who, whenever you go to the bar, is going to be disappearing into the back room. We, right. we, we used to have a joke. There was a place called Wonder Bar on Avenue A. So in the 90s, it was a really fun time to be playing around. Uh, because by that time, everyone felt like, okay, we know how to play safe. And, you know, people were playing again. So there was a bar called Wonder Bar. And it was just very East Village, fantastic, very renty, you know, that kind of thing. And there was a back room that was tiny, but it was practically pitch black. 
And you could just wander back there. And then up front, everyone's just having ordinary bar conversation. And so I would meet with my friends there like every Friday night. And every Friday night, I'd lose my goddamn wallet in the back room. So I finally got a Harley Davidson chain to like chain the wallet to my belt. And I'm showing it off to all my friends. I'm like, look, I'm going to be fine tonight. They're like, okay, Kevin's finally prepared. I go back there. And when I come back, I'm in a daze. I'm in a sector. I'm in like, oh, my God, that was wonderful. <laughs> and they're like, and your wallet? And I pull it up. It's been taken off the oh, chain. Wow. <laughs> so, so the whole point, someone was in there thinking, I'm going to hook up and get and, and And I have the equipment to remove wallets from oh, chains. Oh, man. That's just, well... If you're going to distract someone, I suppose, right? <laughs> right. That's crazy. Um, yeah, you can always distract someone when their face is in your ass. <laughs> Maybe That's... the title of this episode. Maybe the title of this episode. Um, so, yes. So, for me, then, that was kinky when I, uh, in college, started fooling around at sex clubs and uh, having anonymous sex. Um, the first story I ever told on Risk was a, a time I brought a guy home from a sex club in the East Village when I was about 20 or so, and he ordered me to tie my shoes to my balls. And it's it's a very funny story, and it's told... You know, my podcast, Risk, goes out mostly to straight people, you know, and mostly vanilla people. So... You know, I'm very conscious of that I'm always the narrator who's kind of walking people into unfamiliar territory. But that story is funny because when I was 20, tying my shoes to my balls was very unfamiliar territory for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think most people, even the kinky people. So. Oh, this is the point when I tie my shoes to my balls. It's a good thing you didn't have, like, the Velcro, the kangaroo shoes. That would have been much more complicated. Well, I just, I went to Paddles a couple months back, and a guy tied me up to a cross, and I'm like, oh my god, it's happening again. He tied his Doc Martens to my balls, and I was like, well, my balls have gotten a lot tougher over the years. (laughs) We've moved on from Converse. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that... Because your stories seem to be a lot more... I mean, there are there are different levels of bravery as far as the, the stories on risk. Yeah. Um, but because you, you don't hold back on yours, do you think that gives other people more leeway so that they're saying to themselves, well, okay, this is a really big thing for me, but because Kevin has said this thing and on my level, that's a 10 on the risk scale, mine's maybe only an 8... Yes, absolutely. I feel like that, that that was what started happening, I would say, in year two of Risk. But then what gives people even more leeway is when they hear other fans of Risk. Because truly, some of the most... Uh, amazing stories that have been told on the show. Uh, the show is not just sexual stories. No, no, no. It, it's yeah. The, a woman came on the show recently and talked about how, when she was twenty, she took a bunch of mushrooms and yeah. opium and and tried to kill her mother. Uh, people have talked about child molestation or uh, deaths in the family, and 
it's interesting that some of the riskiest stories have not been told by fellow writers and performers, but by risk fans who are like, I want to get this off my chest. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think I did open the gates with some of my stories in the beginning, but I feel like now it's as if the fans themselves are taking the ball and running with it. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is not a criticism. This is a suggestion. Mm-hmm. If you could have some sort of, not warning, but maybe something in the description. Mm. I'm in Trader Joe's, listening to the woman uh, talk, you know, talk about mushrooms, and I'm starting to cry a little bit while picking out fruit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I totally understand what you're saying. And this is a good thing. This is a good thing to be happening, yeah, by the way. Yeah, this yeah. is a good thing that to be moved by a podcast, right? This yeah. is a great thing. I'm listening to this, and nobody around <laughs> me knows what's going on. <laughs> But I'm picking out fruit or something, and they're like, boy, that guy really loves his fruit, or is really disappointed in the fruit. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going like, it's, it's okay. I got it. has got something in my eye here. Yes. No, we, you know, uh, that, uh, that, that is an episode that I think I will go back in and give a little bit of a warning. I, I have given warnings that my some of my stories sure. are very sexually explicit. Um, but I sometimes forget because I, one of the things I love about Risk is that we'll have a hilarious story followed by a heartbreaking story and I kind of like surprising people but there is surprising people too much well, no, like, so I, okay, so I, as soon as I just thought I thought about it a little bit more in the 30 seconds since I've said it <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a warning isn't uh, a good thing to do because if I more, were to emotionally prepare myself for hearing something like that yeah it wouldn't be as honest as far as the experience of as a, as a listener, right? When you're listening to, especially that, I mean, people will definitely go download it. Um, uh, yeah, that's the live from Philly one. Yeah. yeah. When you're listening to it, it starts out kind of funny and lighthearted. Mm-hmm. She's talking about smoking pot and, mm-hmm. you know. And so it feels kind of lighthearted. But the, because of the, if you're braced for it ahead of time, it's not, it completely removes the effect. I don't think it completely removes the effect. I think that I can warn people without warning them too explicitly because a guy did write to me. He's like, look, I was on traveling to a, an important business meeting. Right. I heard that story in the car and it just wrecked me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, by the way, if anyone writes to complain, and I'm sort of an asshole for doing it too. If anyone writes to complain and is like, listen, you moved me too much, Kevin. Right. What the fuck is wrong with you? Can you please decrease the quality of your podcast a little bit? It's, um, I, you know, that's an, like, I'm, next month, one of the things, ever since King Camp, I've been saying to myself, well, I think I should proactively be seeking out adventures to have in life. I was listening to um, Chris Ryan, you know, who uh, wrote Sex at Dawn? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was talking about how you can take that theory that scientists have about why we think that time slows down when something really traumatic or really amazing happens to us. It's because our psyche is like, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I've got to keep track of every sight, sound, what's going on yeah. here. So it seems like time slows down. And he was saying, that's the same way you can look at life in a, mic- in a macro way, too. Yeah. You can extend your life, feel like you're having a longer life, if you go out and have adventures and do things that you never thought you'd be doing. Yeah. Uh, because your whole psyche starts being like, wait, where am I? What's going on here? And it just, you know, life becomes richer and fuller. So one of the things that I've been trying to do is to have a hallucinogenic experience that was guided, not just 
me taking acid and sitting listening to the Beatles. Right. Um, so I finally found a guy. And in January, we're going to have a meeting for about an hour and a half or something where I talk about everything that's on my heart. Then a couple of days later, we're going to meet for an entire day where I trip and he guides me almost like a hypnotist through it. And then we'll meet a few days later to see how I feel. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because it's one it's one of two occasions at least where I've used risk as almost like the secret, like putting it out there in the universe. <laughs> the other was, and this I, I kind of regret because I think, you know, we were talking about the whole Asian thing before. And I think that this might have struck a wrong chord with some people where I found out about this whole service thing in, in the kink community yeah. that, that um, people enjoy cleaning other people's apartments. And of course, you know, I kind of knew of that from like, you know, seeing it in movies, like someone dresses up as a French maid yeah. or blah, 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 blah. But uh, I didn't realize it was such a thing until I attended a storytelling show again and heard a pro dom talking about, you know, these guys who come over and clean her apartment and pay her for it. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, I would love to find a house cleaning boy since I, I'm horrible absolutely pathetically horrible at keeping my space clean yeah. <laughs> and plus the whole thing sounds sexy to me maybe it'll sound sexy to someone else so on risk closing credits one one time i was like oh and by the way everyone i'm on the lookout for a naked asian house cleaning boy right. <laughs> and unfortunately Including the word Asian in there, like, makes it feel a little bit like, oh, yeah. wait a minute. You're yeah. looking for, like, a stereotypical, like, submissive, like, you're going to use another yeah. race to get your work done, yeah. you know? Doesn't sound good. So, but, it happened. Um, got an email from a guy who was actually, like, the podcast is listened to around the world. Right, right. So, he's in Malaysia. He's like, I'm coming to school. Uh, in New York, and I'm very interested in BDSM. I'm especially interested in this whole service thing, yeah. domestic service. Um, I'd like to try this out with you. And I went on FetLife and started asking uh, mentors for in mentoring groups for advice on this. And they were like, oh boy. They were like, you're going to let this kid move in with you? They said, listen... You have to have several Skype interviews with him. You have to see the proof that his family is wealthy and that they're taking care of his finances. Yeah. You have to see the proof that he's been accepted to this college in yeah. New York, et cetera, et cetera. So I did all that, and our conversations were very, very pleasant. He came to live with me, and just the sweetest guy, uh, intelligent. The first few times we had sex was really, really hot, um, but... As time went on, he was so overwhelmed with moving to New York. I mean, you know, he was 23 years old. Moving to New York and, you know, getting started with his, you know, graduate school and everything. He was, and his parents found out he was gay on Facebook, so he's going through that. Yeah. And so I just kept saying to him, look, you just do whatever you need to do in your life right now. Don't worry about our whole DS relationship. In fact, I would also encourage you to be dating guys your own age. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because 
You're 23. You you should at least have the experience You're of dating in New York. Here. Right. Yeah, you've just gotten here to, to America. Give it a try, all that sort of thing. But the more I started encouraging him to do his own thing, the more he was doing his own thing, yeah. and he eventually just left. Yeah. <laughs> funny thing about DS, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if there's, if there's a, 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 I don't want to say lack of interest, but if it, if there's a perceived lack of interest, it just sort of kind of dissolves. But you know what I mean? It's sort of like it's, it's so weird for me because I, because I consider myself a switch. You know, I like to dominate in some cases, and I love to submit in other cases. Um, but when I do dominate, it tends to be so kind and sweet and like I tend to like for example verbal affirmation like I think I think it really throws some guys off when they're submitting to me and the whole time I'm just telling them how wonderful and beautiful they are (laughs) because they're used to being like degraded or something or yeah yeah I think that's it that you know when I'm a dom I am not a sadistic one I'm more of a nurturing like daddy kind of guy yeah um but when I'm a sub, I'm, you know, game to be treated a little bit rough, rough emotionally or stuff like that, you know. Uh, so it's interesting that way. I think that I lose a lot of people at some point when, when, I, when I'm not all that mean. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, but this, I hear this on all sides, by the way. Mm-hmm. I hear this on all sides. When you were talking about looking for some for service, I immediately, I thought the story was going to go completely differently. I always hear... I remember I, I found a woman on Alt or Fat Life. This was years ago, uh, who was looking for someone for service. She was in uh, Connecticut, and I'm was in New York. But I'm options are limited. So I'm like, sure, I'll totally go. And um, and so I'm cleaning for her. It was uh, you know like a Friday night or something like that. And she was like, you haven't been making any mistakes intentionally. I'm like, no, oh. no, I'm not. Why would I? She's like, well, most people who come over, uh, when they want to get beaten or punished, they will make a mistake. They'll spill something or do something. You've been doing this for like three hours and you've just been cleaning. I don't know <laughs> what to do with you, right? And I, and I was like, you know, if you want to... If you want to beat me, you'd, that's the only reason you need, really. You don't need... To, and it's, if it makes you feel better, I'll tip over this comet or something right, right, you know? right. but, uh, almost everyone she she saw they would like go oh oops I missed the spot you're going to have to punish me you know? oh, it was that's so, so funny the whole purpose of service was not was not actually do the cleaning it was just to, to get punished for something right wow. so I thought for sure this is what the experience you, know, you were going to have because everyone I know who does a lot of service stuff this is what they end up finding out right? is they find out the person is just like purposely you know they they get off on the idea of punishment for something. Right, right, right. right. You know, it's so funny because there there is that... We were talking before, I don't know if we were recording, but we were talking about, like, the whole thing with negotiation is that it's really important to negotiate because you just have no idea where the other person is coming from. Yeah. There, there's... And the same is true for just vanilla relationships, yeah. for crying out loud. However... Too much negotiation can also put a damper on things. Yes. Yeah. Well, and also in many of these cases, like if if I was the kind of guy who wanted to do service for, you know, just to get punished, I wouldn't have said, I just, I'm listen, I'm really shitty at this. I just want you to beat me. Mm-hmm. That would have, I would have been smart enough to know 
the negotiation would be gone by then. That would be that would be the end of it. So the biggest problem with so many negotiations is that it's it ends. You know, people are completely lying during the negotiation process, right, and wasting other people's time. Oh my God, I can't tell you how many people because I meet so many guys on these hookup apps that are not. You know, on the hookup apps, I'm on Grinder and Scruff and Jacked, and the list just goes on. And on every one of them, I state that I am polyamorous and kinky. Mm-hmm. And I'll often end up conversing with guys who are like, oh, yeah, I, I am those things, too. And, and I'll try to feel out, well, to what extent? How experienced? Oh, I'm good. I'm good with ropes. You know, that kind of thing. I had this guy come over, a Filipino guy, and uh, he was a really big guy. And I was like, oh, well, he had told me he was good with robes, and I was iffy about it, but I thought, well, all right, I'll take him at his word. He says, I I need to go into the other room for a minute, and I said, all right, I'll just undress and, like, bow on the floor or something. (laughs) All right, I'll just, you know, I'll just do this, I guess. (laughs) So he goes in the other room, and he comes back, and he's dressed, I think, as Captain America. Oh, wow. And I'm like, well, okay. I look up at him and I think, I don't know anything about superheroes, you know? So you didn't know any of this, that Captain America was showing up? <laughs> no! All I knew was that he was good with ropes. And all of a sudden, the masked <laughs> Avenger is coming out of your bathroom. I'm like, I don't know who Captain America's nemesis is <laughs> no. or, or what I should be behaving like. Let's just assume it's going to be DS in general. And indeed it was. And he started tying me up and it immediately became clear. He had no experience with ropes whatsoever. It was Buster Keaton and Fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> he started like walking around me, tripping over himself. There all these knots. I was doing everything in my power. Like, I was like, "How long should I let this go on?" Right, you know, right. the, this this rope and knot uh, uh, imbroglio. Right, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, it is. You 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 really even even with negotiation, even with discussing with pe- things with people beforehand, it is really hard to know. And it is also fascinating to me. We love, or at least I love, the whole getting to know someone via text first, yeah. because you can be your wittiest. Um, you can be very direct. You can you know share pictures beforehand. All this stuff that are a way of revealing a lot, but in a very masked way. Also, what you're getting back from the other person, you're usually imagining the sexiest version of that. Exactly. So when someone says, yeah, uh, I'll be right back, I gotta go uh, take care of something, you're thinking, they just have to you know, change the laundry, but you're thinking, they're, they're getting so turned on that they jerk off. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah exactly, right? exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, I have a few other things written down here, but is there anything else specifically you did want to talk about before? We- oh, yeah. The, well, the one thing I, I, I thought, you know, I thought that I might let people know where they could find me on FetLife, sure. um, even though my real name is known as well. Because, no, I think I should tell people they can find me at RedKev on FetLife, because I really would like for more gay men out there... To friend me in order to, like, so that I might, I don't know, become more social and, and maybe start hosting some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had the the, sur- the guy who was interested in serving you uh, contact you through through your show. You've had 
uh, it's your personal version of Craigslist almost. Do other people just randomly email and say, hey, look, I'd be interested in, you know. Well, you know, I have had a couple of people come to live shows because we take risk on the road sometimes. So in Los Angeles and um, other places. Uh, Portland. I've had guys come up to me afterwards and be like, hey, uh, I understand you're kinky. And, you know, and we had a lot of fun. Um, When I start texting someone and it seems like this person might be kind of interesting in a person, you know, like maybe more than just sex, I will encourage them to listen to Beyond Kink Camp, for example, because it's almost a way of saying, well, all right, you want to know a couple things about me? You're going to learn a lot about me from this. Yeah. And and friends of mine say to me, Kevin, you know, if anything, you have to learn when to hold back. You have to learn that people in dating situations really like mystery. Yeah. They like, you know, not knowing everything all at once. And a part of me is just so, oh, get so angry about that and impatient with that because a part of me is like, no, they just don't want to know the truth. Right, you right. know? But <laughs> well, at the same time, if someone's obsessed enough, they're going to find it, right? They're going to, they're going to, do a search. They're going to listen to everything, and the well, that, that's true. Yeah, if if someone if someone is, is starts dating me, it's not going to be very long before they you know find out about those stories. If not from hearing the stories themselves, then from other people. You know what I mean? So, I, but, but a part of me feels like that's that is a good thing for me because you know I'm I'm. Probably more. I, my husband. I, I. We didn't talk about this at all. I, I was married for nine years. Mm. Not. Not actually. We were together for nine years and married for maybe three legally. Right. Um, and we had an open relationship, but it was the. But it was a very simple one in that. Uh, we were only allowed to have emotional sex with one another. And otherwise it was mostly just me going to sex parties. You know what I mean? Like very, very anonymous stuff and not kinky. I mean, to the extent that, you know, just, just, Dudes getting together and having sex. There were no speculums. Uh, yes, no speculums. No, no boots on balls. <laughs> right, right. Um, so my husband and I, we met when I was 31, and it turned out he was a fan of the state. And I didn't regret that at all. I, I, I felt like, oh, okay, someone who appreciates my goofy side, someone who you know, is okay with the fact that I'm a performer, all that kind of stuff, I think is actually... You know, it's nice for someone to find me from what I do. There's a difference between star fucking and just being really into and can identify, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which I'm sure you wouldn't complain about either, but there's a, as far as a relationship goes. Absolutely. I I mean, I, I feel like the stories I tell on Risk, I try to put as much of my real self in there as possible. So if someone really likes the stories, then chances are they're gonna like me mm-hmm. yeah i'm very jealous of you being out mm-hmm. and obviously i use a fake name uh, i was talking with uh stephen elliott recently I, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's got a, a few books out the adderall diaries a happy mm-hmm. baby and, and he's now directing movies and i was asking him because he's not shy about being into kink he's not shy about it at all and you don't hear a lot of people in hollywood especially who are that out mm. about being kinky yeah and i was asking him how does that affect and he hasn't seen all that much negativity if if 
or I should say, maybe maybe there has been negativity, but he hasn't been exposed to it. You know, maybe there have been doors cut off because of it, but he does, he's not aware of it. Have you? Oh, you know that we, I've had a lot of famous people do risk yeah. uh, because coming from a comedy background, I know a lot of famous people. Yeah, but like, there's at least like fifteen or so of the most famous people I know who won't do the show. And it's they're just like I'm just afraid I'll say something it'll slip and it'll hurt my career. Yeah, and um, I find that really depressing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's. I hate to say it, but it's like if you build a career that is so built into the corporate entertainment industry, your a lot of what you do is just flat out false. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, like we were talking before about how I spent so many years trying to fit into the, you know, auditioning for sitcoms mm-hmm. and stuff like that, trying to fit Hollywood's idea of what a redheaded Midwestern boy should act like on TV or whatever. Um, and when I finally stopped doing that in the podcast realm, um, you have this freedom, but you also don't have anyone to answer to. Yeah. And so you start hearing back from fans some of the stuff that you fear. You know, the, the agents and casting managers were going to say to you all along. Yeah. People write in to Risk all the time saying, I love this show. I can't stand the host. He is so over-the-top goofy. He's so annoyingly friendly or just whatever what they 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 wish that they could listen to all of risk except for my hosting segments and they'll say really mean things about me and initially it devastated me when 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 it first started happening but more and more it's becoming water off my back more and more i'm realizing no that is why i'm doing this i'm doing this because of course I'm not for everybody. Of course some people are going to find me annoying. Of, and they may even be right to some extent that I overdo it sometimes, etc. But if I allow that voice to censor me and keep me from continuing to just push forward with being myself, yeah. that's just beside the whole but point you're of never the podcast. Gonna, I mean, you, you know this already before I say it, though, but you're never going to be able to please... Oh, God, no. I mean, I'll get most of my most of my emails are very complimentary, but they'll also say stuff like, uh, "You really need to talk about feet more often," <laughs> or you know what I mean? Or it's been two episodes and you haven't talked to a dominant woman. You know these these right, things. Right, 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 right. Uh, and They're, so, so you're not gonna, you're not going to get because some people use it as wank off material. Yeah. But at the same time, I guarantee you, someone is listening to our conversation right now. And this for those for those of you listening right now, you're about to email because I'm I'm not giving you wank material. Someone is wanking to this <laughs> right now. So just because you're not wanking to it, someone else is wanking. Yeah, yeah. I have had people tell me that that some of my like uh, Beyond King Camp and uh, Kevin goes to King Camp that you know they got all hot and bothered yeah, yeah. from it. So that's great. Yeah. Do you get a lot of people emailing saying, "Where was that? How do I find that?" Yes, and people, especially people, sometimes will write in for sex and romance advice from me, and that has been really kind of 
Awesome. There was a there was a period where we did a fundraiser where we said, you know, if you give us fifty bucks, Kevin will give you advice on your sex or romantic life. Yeah, yeah. And I've had people come back to me like a year or so later saying, Hey, that really helped me out what yeah. you wrote to me that day, you know? One of the like I would say the because my friends in the state uh, most of them went on to become multimillionaires, um, writing Hollywood movies, doing shows like Reno 911. Um, uh, David Wayne is a huge director in Hollywood now. They have amazing careers, and I've spent years being so jealous and yeah. resentful and, and feeling so left behind and feeling like I shot myself in the foot in many ways by not staying as connected as I could to everyone. But now I'm doing something which is so totally true to my heart that even though I'm not making a lot of money, I feel a deep and profound sense of satisfaction that I think can't compare to anything else. And part of what started to happen is that people write in to me that the podcast saved their life. Yeah. People will write in and say... I was feeling suicidal, and I started listening to your podcast, and such and such a story, and then such and such a story started to make me feel like I'm not so bad off, or yeah. I'm not such a freak. Someone wrote in once that they they got their son to get off of heroin after listening to one of the episodes. So when people write in stuff like that, I'm like, well, I don't think I could ask for any higher reward or anything more satisfying than yeah. that it's sometimes so much so that it's hard to even appreciate it yeah. you know what i mean and i guess i never thought about it about about you know because i used to watch you on the state and, mm. and, and and i've uh watched i'm a comedy nerd so i've seen stuff that david way and his dad mm. and everything mm -hmm. um and I never even thought about the jealousy aspect of it because, but it's, I think it's human nature. Mm. But what you've done has been all you. Mm. And, you know, as Sinatra said, you've done it your way. You've, you've, there, you've really built something amazing. When I was in the state, I was always beating myself up for the extent to which I wasn't so good at collaborating with the others. And everyone recognized that in me. Everyone would say, Kevin's the madman. He's kind of like Mel Brooks was on the set of... Um, uh, your show of shows the guy who just goes off and does his own thing and brings in a sketch that is too fucking crazy to put on the air but everyone loves it in the writer's room um, so everyone kind of loved me the fact that I was the black sheep but they knew that I was always stressing that being the black sheep meant that I wasn't so much in the clicks and wasn't so much getting on air as much as everyone else and all that um but it was Michael Ian Black, especially in the group, who would encourage me because we had daily check-ins when we were at MTV. Mm -hmm. um, it w I think it was my idea, and it's rare that the group would ever go with one of my ideas. But 10 o'clock in the morning at MTV every morning, we'd gather, and at a certain point we decided, look. We are so awful to each other all throughout the day. We roast each other like crazy. We're always joking and poking at each other's egos. Let's have a half hour at the beginning of the day at 10 in the morning where we just say how we feel or what's going on in our lives. Yeah. So we called it check-in. Every morning, everyone in the state will have been out with each other the night before. They'll, they'll have basically been together 24-7. Yeah. But Kevin has been out 
somewhere in the meatpacking district in a sub basement with his face in some Puerto Rican guy's ass. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes in to check in at 10 in the morning with an elaborate story, and everyone's always like, Kevin has the best check ins. <laughs> So it was Black who used to say to me, dude, you should just be getting on stage and telling this stuff. Yeah. And I would say, I can't possibly do that. You know, it's like, it's that old, I want to come out about things, but I'm so full of worry and shame about how, what the neighbors will think. And so all these years later, I finally like been like, no, maybe Having been the guy in the group who was the black sheep and doing it your own way was actually always the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> and it's worked out, right? Yeah. How long have you been on FetLife? FetLife, I joined... Oh, my gosh. I had to leave for a little while. This is an interesting story. Uh, but FetLife, I first joined when I first went to kink camp. Uh, my friend Jefferson, who had invited me to the camp... I literally had to ask him to come to my apartment to help me set up my FetLife profile because I was so afraid. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to write. I don't know who these people are. Yeah, yeah. He was like, all right, I'll help you out. So he came over. He was like, are you a dom or a, or a sub? Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> I think I've been hearing you talk about this. Yeah. Um, so we set up a, a FetLife profile. And, uh, and I made a lot of friends along the way, especially from camp. But at one point, I wanted to do a risk episode with trans people, with either uh, actual transgender people or just people who were gender queer, mm -hmm. because I felt like their voices we just don't hear enough from, just out there in general. Um, so I reached out on FetLife to a couple of trans groups saying, I do this show where people share life experiences and yada, yada, yada. And... The first person to respond responded very belligerently, responded, oh, what are you, uh, Jerry Springer? Yeah. You're here to exploit us on your, your show like, like we're circus freaks? Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand the tone and the approach that my show has to things. I work with the person to make sure they're saying what they really want to be sharing. Um, but then a couple of other people kind of picked up on what the first person was vibing on, and it all of a sudden just blew up into this long thread where I got all defensive, and I was like, I don't even understand these politically correct terms you people are throwing around, and it became a mess. How am I a bad guy for trying to do something good? <laughs> right. Yeah. And they're like, Politic you're calling us politically correct? Mm -hmm. So it was one of those FetLife instances where drama erupted. Yeah. And one of those. <laughs> and I, I got so um, distraught because I have such guilt about ever being perceived as a bad guy. Sure. I just have this desperate need to be the good guy. So I, dis I got, took myself off of FetLife entirely. And, uh, and then about a week later, I was like, not that's ridiculous. I'm going to sign up for a new FetLife account. Um, and they actually let you take your old name if your old account is completely gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, I've always been Red Kev there. Uh, R-E-D-K-E-V, all one word. Um, and yeah, I would really love it if people listening to this show, especially gay men, and especially gay men 
you know, within two or three hours of New York City, <laughs> reached out to me because I do want to. I don't know. I think I, I think I might make it a goal to either host an orgy or host a um, a munch at yeah. least, some sort of social thing sometime yeah. in the next year. Yeah, I, I I have no doubt that, especially if you mentioned it on Risk. But that's yeah. you know that's is that, is that too far for you on, on to say on rest? No, 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 absolutely not. No, no. What am no. I saying? Yeah, I've, I've, I've asked for a houseboy. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Right. Gee, I wonder if a munch is going to be too far. <laughs> Best of luck to you. I hope you're willing to come back and talk about this again. I'd love to have you talk about orgies, and I'm sure I'm sure, and I'm, and I'm probably ruining the next the next time you come on because people are going to be listening to risk until they'll hear some of these stories ahead of time, but. Uh, I really hope you can, are willing to come back again. This was oh, really fun. this was a total blast. And this actually made me, you know, I started off by saying I feel like I'm at a little bit of a low point, like feeling a little lonely or whatever. But I feel like preparing just to have this conversation kind of helped, helped set my head in a more positive space about where I'm at, you well, know? Also, I think, there, like I said earlier, it comes to a point where uh, just collecting friends in the kink scene, mm. even if you don't do anything with them, uh, the fact that you have people who have had similar experiences or people you can even joke with about certain kinks or whatever, that definitely helps someone from feeling so alone, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I- I'm definitely going to be friending you as soon as, you know, later tonight, you'll be getting a friend request. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin, and a big thank you to Mistress Alex again for putting us in contact with one another. Find Kevin's uh, podcast on iTunes. Just type in Risk, or you can go to risk-show.com. Uh, in fact, I've got links to all things Kevin on the Massacast website. Go to massacast.com. If you're listening to this years later, just search for Kevin in the search bar. And uh, I even have links to his FetLife profile, and I strongly encourage you to friend him and uh, make sure you tell him that uh, you heard him on the Massacast and encourage him to come back. Guilt him into coming back and telling more. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.